Hello, and welcome to the TLDR Podcast, a show about the culture, gossip, and business of money. And this week, can unlimited shrimp and high interest rates exist on the same astral plane? My name is Devin Friedman. I'm here with my co-host, Matt Carez, is the director of product at Wellsimple, our sponsor. Matt, I feel like you've been really on fire as a TLDR newsletter editor this week. I'm a little worried that you're going to take my job. That's my goal. I'm gunning for it. And Kyla Scanlon, the professor of economics at the University of TikTok. Kyla, were you excited about the Canadian inflation print this week? Yes, I was very excited. All inflation numbers are incredibly exciting to me. And this week, all the viruses that have been hitting Sarah Rieger finally took her out. But we have with us instead Kat Angus. Kat is the managing editor of the TLDR newsletter and the host of the cult hit culture podcast. I hate it, but I love it. Can I call it a cult hit? Sure. Yeah, go right ahead. Hello. Let's start out. Surprise, surprise, with a question that gets at the most interesting stories in the world of money right now, which is, who is making and losing money that's interesting? Kyla Scanlon, let's start out with you. Yes. So Red Lobster has lost a ton of money on this unlimited shrimp deal that they have where people could go to the restaurant and for $20, they could eat all the shrimp that they wanted. Um so it was a really good deal for a bunch of shrimp and Red Lobster lost, they don't say the exact amount, but they had an operating loss of $11 million in Q3 2023. So Red Lobster has lost so much money on this, as well as losing money for other reasons like labor cost pandemic, et cetera, that their parent company, Thai Union Group, who also owns Chicken of the Sea, is planning on selling Red Lobster because they don't want to deal with infinite shrimp. Thai Union Group. Is it T-H-A-I? Like, yeah, Thailand. Are they like heavy in the fish business? Yeah. The, the global fish leader, I think, is what they call themselves. I just imagine like the VP of growth showing up at the Red Lobster meeting and being like, we're going to crush it next quarter. I have two words for you. Unlimited shrimp. Like, did they just underestimate how many shrimp people could eat? Yeah, I mean, this is honestly like one of my favorite stories. And I've been telling everybody about it all week because I think it's great because they've done this before. So in 2003, they had this unlimited crabs special. Um, So they lost a ton of money on that. But they are also losing a ton of money on these shrimp. And the restaurant itself is not planning to abandon this unlimited shrimp idea. They want to continue it. I, I really like that they're just sticking to it. They're like, no, this this is losing us millions of dollars and we've done it before, but this time it's going to work. This- <laughs> Maybe they haven't heard about the end of the millennial subsidy. <laughs> well, and they also like made it so available. It was available every day of the week and it brought in two times the amount of customers that they seemingly expected or two times the amount of normal customers. But the big mistake that Red Lobster made with their unlimited shrimp deal was they assumed that people would buy other things. They assumed that people would buy drinks and that they would right, buy right, right, appetizers, right, right, right. and they right. didn't. They were just like, I'm here for the shrimp and the shrimp alone. They're disciplined. Mm-hmm. People yeah. are disciplined. Uh, mm-hmm. So they the, the myth of the loss leader. Exactly. Man, what's funny to me is that it's actually been a really good time for big restaurant chains. 
because they've been able to increase their prices and people wanted to like go out and um, be social after the pandemic. And so you've seen stocks like McDonald's, the world's biggest restaurant chain, Darden that owns things like Olive Garden, like all of those stocks are at all time highs and they've been growing revenues and profits. And, um, you know, Red Lobster and the, the Thai Union Group are the laggards, the exception to this rule, because they did something that got people in the door, but they didn't have a way to monetize it. Well, it's kind of like that same, like the Red Lobster, the Applebee's, the Olive Garden, all of those companies, restaurants specifically, were like, we're going to get people through the door through Unlimited. And then they realized how Unlimited Unlimited is. So Olive Garden stopped their never-ending pasta promotion in 2020 and 2021. And then Applebee's (laughs) had this thing for all-you-can-eat riblets, and they lost a bunch of money on that in 2004. So this is like the story that keeps on happening. Guys, should we buy Red Lobster? (laughs) (laughs) If we all pull our money, we can do it. Honestly, probably. The idea is like never bet against the eater, like never bet against the (laughs) North American eater um, because people can eat. It's like no one ever saw that Simpsons episode when Homer sues the restaurant for kicking him out for not having all he could eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just didn't realize that we're all Homer Simpson. lobsters. Okay, let's move on to you, Kat Angus. Who is making and losing money this week that is interesting to you? Chung chung! (laughs) It's the Law & Order sound, because we can celebrate Law & Order Toronto criminal intent finally premiered last week, uh, premiered on City TV, because we might not be able to get people to watch our own shows, but by howdy, we are going to just take an idea that's already been done seven times in the U.S. and make it our own. (laughs) The question, though, is it cha-chung or is it cha-ching? Sorry, that's that's a terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible question. Um... All right. So just to get into the business part of it, right? Dick Wolf is the guy who started Law & Order. He owns Mm -hmm. the intellectual property. How did it work? Is this a Dick Wolf production or did he like Donald Trump style sell his franchise out to someone in Canada? Uh, No, yeah, they absolutely license it out to a production company in Canada. I'm sure that's similar to buying like a fast food franchise where there are some rules they have to follow in order to make it an accurate uh, spinoff of Law & Order. But other than that, it's pretty much a Canadian production. Unlimited murders? (laughs) Well, there's 10 episodes, so probably 10-ish murders. 10-ish murders, give or take. See? They're being smart about it. (laughs) Okay, Kat, as, as part of your job here at the TLDR podcast... Did you actually watch episode one? I did. Uh, Well, for one, they are throwing out Toronto references left and right, but they're also ripping stories from the headline. This one was based on uh, the Quadriga scandal where the founder died with like $250 million in crypto, inaccessible because he had the only keys. (laughs) There's a big conspiracy around it. So they basically based it on that. So... You know, we had Matt Bellany on to talk about the streaming wars and the consolidation in Hollywood and how the only people making money in television right now are Netflix and Netflix. (laughs) But at the same time, there's sort of a boom in like, what's it called? Like second screen TV, where it's like you're not really paying attention to what's going on because you're doing something else. Um, Oh, yes. hmm. Law and Order in all of its iterations is the perfect background show. Yeah, you want to fold some laundry, you want to clean the house, 
You need to yell at your kids, put Law and Order, put SVU on the background. And I guess Canada, we want a piece of that pie. It's called watching big screen while scrolling little screen. If you're, <laughs> if you're watching TV while on your phone, <laughs> which is bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. However, that's what people do. Mm. Matthew has his little screen out while the big <laughs> podcast screen. I will, is. I will admit that my little screen, my little screen is out. I, I've been looking at the Comcast company stock to see whether this push into Canadian crime is helping the stock, mm. and it doesn't seem to be moving the needle. Yeah, Comcast, of course, is the parent company of NBC, which produces Law and Order and all the Dick Wolf weird crime shows. But does Comcast make money? when Toronto Law and Order goes on, or is it just Dick Wolf? I think it might just be Dick Wolf. Universal Television is what produces Law and Order, and then they have sort of a licensing deal with NBC. So obviously, when they license it to other countries, then I think Universal Television makes the deal with right, them. Right, right, right. Uh, but that being right. said, like all the Law and Order franchises bring in so much money uh, that when Universal was negotiating to re-up the entire franchise, they were trying to get about $1.6 billion for it. It's kind of interesting that the Law and Order franchise could actually be worth that much, given how much um, of the value in these big franchises today comes from, like, merchandise. You know, I could easily see why people go out and buy, like, frozen merchandise, (laughs) but it's a little bit harder to think, like, okay, I'm going to go buy, like, I don't know, a badge or a gun. Like, a Law & Order merchandise just, like, seems a little bit less appealing. I'm wearing my Law & Order pajamas right now. Got my Michael Moriarty underpants on. are their stories. Matt Carraz, who is making and losing money this week that's interesting? We got to talk about NVIDIA. NVIDIA is making a lot of money. It's been the talk of the town. And so, Devin, you know, I, I know you know what NVIDIA is, but for all the people who don't, they make all the chips, computer processing, and database that you need to create AI products. And so, as people have realized how big of a deal AI could be, their sales and profits have gone through the roof, and so has their stock price. And so last week, they released their quarterly earnings, and the media was treating this as a combination of basically like New Year's, the Oscars, and the moon landing all rolled up into one. The Wall Street Journal came out with an article that said, Invincible, it's the investing event of the year, maybe of the decade. CNBC had a countdown clock, you know, as if it was like actual New Year's, And the memes have been even crazier. I mean, there was like this whole set of memes that came out about how if NVIDIA underperforms, the world will end with these like pictures of the zombie apocalypse. There was another thread that was about how NVIDIA is just Taylor Swift for dudes. And so this was, you know, the stock market event of the week and the biggest stock market event that that I can think of for, for a long time. I love when stuff like this happens because my friends will text me and be like, NVIDIA, what's going on? Like, Kyla, tell us about the stock. I don't know. Matthew, is this a new phenomenon in like the era that we're living in that, you know, we talked about Tesla a couple of weeks ago and how it's essentially a giant company that's real, but at the same time behaves like a meme stock. NVIDIA seems like one of these companies that people love to take bets on. Is the phenomenon of these companies that get so much value and so much attention, part of the information culture that we're living in? Well, I have this pet theory, and this could be complete bro science or something like that, but I have this pet theory that markets and investing have like always been inherently social. 
people love to talk about, you know, this great company they found or how much money they made on this one trade. And I think that over time, that kind of conversation has or happened through different mediums. You know, you get it in, in the newspapers and then it happens on TV. And then with social media, it's become a big part of, of many people's Twitter and, and even like Instagram. But I think that it's there's just this same social dynamic that's always really happened and that you're just seeing it amplified with this new technology in the way that a lot of other conversations have been amplified. Matthew, I have a question for you. So I saw this thing where it was the idea that investor expectations, like people are just expecting way too much. Like people were a little bit, I don't want to say disappointed with this earnings beat that NVIDIA had. Like they were like, oh, it could have done more. Do you think that people's expectations are becoming totally misaligned with reality? Or do you think that expectations even matter for something like this? Well, so rolling back the clock to the beginning of 2023, people didn't have that high expectations for NVIDIA. And, you know, the stock, the company announced these ridiculous earnings that caused one of the, like, the biggest overnight stock market reactions in the history, you know, the history of the world in response. And ever since then, you know, you've seen the analysts and investors like trying to catch up. And every single quarter now for the for the last year, NVIDIA has still been able to beat those expectations. And, and I think a lot of the, the hype around this earnings report was, wow, look how much expectations have grown. You know, look how much the analysts are, are hoping for. Look how much the stock is up. Will they be able to beat it? And it looks like Jensen Huang and, and the rest of the company was able to pull another rabbit out of their head. Is it fair to say that the gamble that people are taking on NVIDIA is partially that this company is doing so well, but partially that we know that in the future we're going to need companies like this to provide a lot for us, but we never know if it's going to be this particular company. Yeah, that's the biggest risk whenever you're buying a stock on the expectation that there's going to be a big technological revolution. You know, the first question actually, whenever that happens, is whether any company in this space is actually going to earn any of the profits from that technological revolution. You know, around the time of the launch of the web, investors bid up stocks, you know, like Cisco, thinking that it'll be the manufacturers of computing platforms and telephone lines. And actually, the big companies that were able to reap the benefits were like the search engines and the social networks that were built on top of those rails. With NVIDIA, I think the question is, are the uh, computing providers going to be one of the biggest winners from the AI race? And then the second question is, if you know the computing power is really where the profits are going to lie, will it be NVIDIA or, or somebody else? Right. I noticed on Twitter, there's been you know, this incredible like deification of Jensen Huang. And I wonder, is he actually the most popular tech billionaire right now? Like, is he the, the last unsullied? Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about it is society just loves building up heroes and then tearing them down and casting them aside as villains. And right now, you know, Jensen Huang is in the hero phase. And it's pretty fair to say that he is at least the most loved living tech CEO. Maybe it's just that we don't know that much about him and that's why he's so likable. Well, I think he's cool, right? Like he wears that leather jacket. He has the tattoo and he just seems like a fun guy. He's definitely more exciting than Tim Cook. You know, he seems to get a lot more love than Zuckerberg. More beloved than Zuckerberg. Raise the bar a little bit. You had me at hello. All right, Kyla. 
It is Kyla Scanlon time. It is time for the segment that we call The Whiteboard, where you are going to explain something. And by explaining it, help us understand the world more. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell us how, for a lot of people, a lot of millennials, it feels like the economic world is ending. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes, or at least the lifestyle that millennials and everybody was used to is starting to change. So if you think back to five or seven years ago, everything was a lot different. Ubers were a few dollars. DoorDash was a bargain. Netflix cost like $9. Your whole apartment building could share a login for the Netflix account. But today, all of those things are way more expensive. And there's a reason for that because we're witnessing the end of something called the millennial lifestyle subsidy. So these products were cheap in part because back in the 2010s, interest rates were way lower than they were today, like way, way lower. And when rates are lower, it's easier to get money. So venture capital money was flowing. So if you wanted to make money and have a little bit of fun, you would invest it in a startup that you thought would hit the moon, that you thought would do really, really well. Okay, there's a period of super low interest rates. So all these venture capitalists have all this money, and so they're taking gambles on companies. Yeah, the, the thing that mattered during this time wasn't a profit model, it was a growth model. And so the idea was that the products and services would be so cheap that people would go and give them a try, they'd sign up, they'd give their data over, and they'd become customers for life, air quotes. And the apps would just tell investors the number of users that they planned on having. Right. So if you said, oh, we had a huge audience and everyone's going to buy our subscription box and we're going to make you millions of dollars, VC, like people are going to sign up for that. They didn't even have to have like really a business model. It was just like, we'll figure it all out later. And there wasn't really a better place to put money because interest rates were so low. Um, so the investors were like, okay. So it was Netflix and Uber and DoorDash and basically every other company trying to acquire customers by giving them things at extremely low prices, like Sprig and Munchery and MoviePass. Wait, 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 wait. I think you made that up. There's something called Munchery? Yeah, it's like a food thing, food startup. It's like the millennial, do you know about millennial purple? <laughs> no. It's like this specific color of purple that people will associate with these startups that have like this one color palette that they all tended to use for their pitch decks. Um, and they all kind of had these weird names too. And so the low rates of the 2010s financed this thing that people are calling the millennial lifestyle subsidy. Right. And I guess it's called millennial lifestyle because millennials hadn't experienced anything else. So mm -hmm. they just thought this was the way life was. And they was. were probably the top users. Yeah. You know, one pet theory of mine is that it was also the myth of Google and Facebook mm. that really contributed to it as well. You know, at the beginning of the 2000s, you had these two companies that gave away their product for free and then figured out how to monetize it later after they cornered the market. And I think that um, that lore, you know, enshrined in, in movies like The Social Network, Combined with low rates, meaning that investors weren't too anxious to get their money back soon, they they could they could wait longer for that dream upside scenario. Combined to create this environment where people were just doing this over and over again, even going after like really crazy ideas, companies and founders that you know didn't have any experience and stuff like that. Yeah, basically, it was the Red Lobster all you can eat shrimp model. Like yeah. Red Lobster just hasn't gotten the memo that the, this isn't how you do it anymore. But what happened that 
that changed the model? And like, when did that happen? So the Federal Reserve started raising rates in March of 2022 in order to battle inflation. So interest rates are rising and all these tech companies are seeing their funding dry up as investors say, hey, well, maybe growth isn't the thing that we should be focusing on. Maybe we should focus on profit models or focus on AI. And so the companies say, well, how can we make more money? And of course, the answer to that is to raise their prices. And that's why the price for an Uber that once cost 15 US dollars is now 50 US dollars. DoorDash has hiked their fees. Airbnb is basically the same cost as a hotel and they charge you a bunch of service fees. And a lot of these VC-funded startups folded. Do you think that a generation of people got a little bit spoiled by having this stuff thrown at them basically for free? Oh, here we go. Devin has to talk about how the kids are not all right. It's always, it always comes up. I mean, I think I struggle with it, right? Because it's it's sort of the perception of affluence. And so when we talk about economic sentiment, right, this is a huge, uh, I think, driver of it. And so people got used to like this subsidized affluence, this perceived affluence in their lives. And so they didn't notice stagnant wages as much. And when all that got more expensive, people started to feel worse about their economic circumstances. I I mostly think that like... uh changes in prices and stuff are just sort of a reality. They're like a fact of a competitive capitalist economy. And so I I actually, I always think that it's stupid for people to complain about it versus just figuring out what to do about it. But I don't don't think it's any stupider for the millennials to complain Mm -hmm. about uh, their Uber prices going up than other people complaining about anything else going up. Yeah, I guess maybe it's not fair as someone who is not a millennial for me to call people spoiled. There are some some contributors to the podcast that are in the chat right now saying that they're a little bit triggered by me calling them spoiled. Um, But I think maybe it does lead to a misguided idea of how much things cost. You know, more than that, I think it's contributed to inflation, right? It's just the sense of like, not only have actual things gotten more expensive, not only is wood more expensive, not only are eggs more expensive, but there are a series of things that now cost closer to what they actually cost where before they they were loss leaders. <laughs> I do think there's like a conversation to have about the responsibility of the venture capital firms within all of this. Like I think we oftentimes forget that there's people like writing checks here and uh, it doesn't make sense for them to be investing in companies that don't have a business model and are just planning to burn money. But that's like a much broader conversation and there is no good answer for it. Also, Kyla, that reminds me like if there's any intergenerational finger pointing that we should be doing, we should be blaming Gen X and the boomers for taking all the housing and preventing us from building new ones. <laughs> that is the price going up that should make people really angry. Oh, I just think we should blame capitalism. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can go back and forth with this. I actually think it's where the lack of the free market being able to work because of government regulation by NIMBYs. Let's just eat the rich. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all you can eat rich people. Twenty ninety nine. Okay, everybody. Uh, Great show. Kyla Scanlon, what did we learn on this episode? So we learned that unlimited food has destroyed Red Lobster before, and it's going to happen again. Law & Order Toronto, Criminal Intent's best episode will be when they finally take on the sidewalk raccoon. Jensen Huang's leather jacket is the real power behind NVIDIA. 
the millennial purple is actually a millennial pink, and either way, the subsidy of affluence has ended. Well, that is wonderful and depressing at the same time. That is it for our show. Thank you for listening. If you like us, please don't forget to rate us and review us. This show is sponsored by Wealth Simple. It is made by me, Devin Friedman, Kat Angus, Matt Carez, Sarah Rieger, Kyla Scanlon, with Matilde Urfolino, Annette Heist, Jared Sullivan, Tom Johnson, and Greg Tharp. Fact-checking by Brendan Doherty, theme music by Andy Huckvale, and engineering by Veronica Rodriguez. See you next time. The TLDR podcast is offered by Wellsimple Media Incorporated and is for informational purposes only. The content in the TLDR podcast is not investment advice, a recommendation to buy or sell assets or securities, and does not represent the views of Wellsimple Financial Corporation or any of its other subsidiaries or affiliates. Wellsimple Media Incorporated does not endorse any third-party views referenced in this content. More information at wellsimple.com slash TLDR.